The scripture reading for today is taken from John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, NIV. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you might be old enough, and I count myself in that category, to remember a time when all we had was broadcast television, and even then, not that many channels. And you might remember a moment here and there where suddenly these brightly colored stripes would appear on the screen, some of you might even remember further back when it was black and white, and (laughs) I'm not pointing at anybody. Um, and maybe there was a high-pitched tone, and then you'd hear words, something like, we interrupt this regularly scheduled program to bring you this important message. And it would put you on high alert, like, uh-oh, what, what's going on? People today don't really know the struggle, you see, because uh, interrupting a TV program uh, for breaking news meant cutting into the program that you're watching And for however long this important message took, you missed that much of the story that you were watching. And you would be like, "Ah, but now I don't know what happened in my favorite TV program. I mean, it's no big deal today. You just go back and watch it on demand. You know, you're probably watching streaming anyway, so if you get a message on your phone or a, a test of the alert system, you just carry on from where you left off. I mean, unless Wi-Fi cuts out and you have no data, right? I mean, I've had a few panicked phone calls from my own teenage son who's, who's like, Dad, the Wi-Fi's out. Oh, the horror. But there was a time when these kinds of interruptions happened and you couldn't just pick up where you left off. A lot of these interruptions weren't very welcome. For example, it may be hard to believe, but uh, one article I was reading, there was certain time zones Uh, where people flooded the local television station with calls to complain 
about breaking news the afternoon of November 22nd, 1963. Because it interrupted As the World Turns, their favorite soap opera. They call them daytime dramas now and then, but they were called soap operas originally because in radio history, they were often sponsored by soap companies. That's why they're called soap operas, by the way. In any case, if the date doesn't ring a clue, it was the day that President Kennedy was assassinated. Very important news burst onto the screen and was met with disdain by many viewers who would not rather have their regular lives interrupted because they needed to know what was happening in the fictional world of As the World Turns and felt that was more important than the assassination of their president. The truth is most of us don't like interruptions. We'd rather just keep things the way they are, the way I like them, the way you like them. My orderly world might be your chaos and vice versa, but each of us likes order, regularly scheduled programming, as it were, in our lives. But what happens when something or someone comes along and turns everything upside down in your perfect, orderly little world? Enter the third week of the season of Lent, and a story that I think is a little misunderstood. Perhaps part of that is because most of us, as we open up our Bibles, we'll see the heading, the cleansing of the temple, or Jesus clears the temple. And between this account in John and the versions we read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well, we might think that Jesus is nothing more than angry and vindictive in the moment. I mean, John even talks about this forming a whip of cords as part of what he was doing. I mean, yikes. Don't get me wrong, there really is. This is what happened. He cleansed or he cleared the temple. That's exactly what he did. But is there more than meets the eye here? Or is that all there is? That it's just angry, vindictive Jesus? Or is there something else? What was Christ's purpose? For that matter, we might look at a, uh, a story like this and ask ourselves, why is John including this event at the beginning of his gospel rather than the, near the end of his gospel like Matthew, Mark, and Luke all do? In fact, this is caused, if you're familiar enough with your Bible chronology, you, you might know this already or have wrestled with this already, but it causes a lot of, uh, of, of debate amongst Bible scholars. Like I said, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record this event as at the very beginning of Holy Week, whereas John puts it at the very beginning of his gospel. So the debate range, rages, you know, is there a contradiction? Is the Bible full of error? Uh, were there two temple cleansings? Or is there a deeper meaning beyond all of that? Now, personally, I don't, I don't think there were two cleansing events. I think John was writing theologically, primarily, not chronologically, although there is chronology in much of what he writes. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they set out primarily to, to write from the point of view of the history of Christ's life. Here's how it starts. Here's where he goes to the cross. Here's how it ends, and he raises... Whereas John emphasizes the theology behind Christ's life. 
So here, he's making a theological point in telling this story at the beginning of his earthly story, regardless of when the event actually took place. There's no contradiction. There's no error. He's introducing the importance of the theme of, the, of Passover and of Christ's death and resurrection early in his gospel and how that transforms and changes everything. Because Jesus is about to turn the world upside down. He's about to transform business as usual in terms of the way in which Israel lived. He was about to, as you keep reading through the gospel, he's about to transform a Pharisee named Nicodemus and his understanding of the gospel and and of the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection and his role in it. He's about to transform a Samaritan woman and her entire village. He's about to transform the relationship then between Jewish people and Samaritans. He's about to transform people whom he heals. He's about to transform uh, through the miracle of of loaves, five loaves and two fish that feeds 5,000. He's about to transform the way the disciples view him as they watch him walk on water toward them. He's about to teach the hard things of following him that transforms people's expectations of the Messiah. He's about to transform Mary and Martha and those around them who witnessed Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And he's about to make his way to the cross, to the cross of Calvary, to transform all humanity and give us an opportunity to be forgiven of our sin and be reconciled in our relationship with God the Father. Jesus is in the business of transforming our business-as-usual world. Jesus is in the business. You want to advance that next slide for some reason? My thing is not just responding. Jesus is in the business of transforming our business-as-usual ways. Don't get distracted by the placement of this story at the beginning of John's gospel. Don't be distracted by the anger shown by Jesus in the moment. I know it's hard because most of us want to think only of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but here we have angry Jesus who seems wild (laughs) instead. And it throws us off. Now, the typical sermon explanation you may have heard before on this passage, and if you've been in church life for any period of time, you've heard sermons on this event, whether from John or from one of the other Gospels as well. And the typical explanation goes this way. Jesus was trying to cleanse the temple or reform the Jewish temple because of the dishonesty of people selling sacrifice and uh, sacrificial animals there and, and the money changers. Uh, they've commercialized worship at, at the temple. So in his anger, Jesus calls them a den of thieves or, or robbers. Uh, says that in the other gospel accounts. Because of the, what was happening, because of the transactions that were taking place. And, and so he, he turns things over and, and there's this righteous anger that he has. Righteous anger, therefore, is not bad anger. And that's the typical explanation we have at this particular story. Don't be distracted by the chaotic scene and think that all that this is about is righteous anger upsetting the usual. Especially as we encounter John's inclusion of this um, moment where Jesus takes cord and forms a whip. I mean, it makes you think he's gone nuts whipping people. (laughs) 
But listen to what it says carefully, verse 15. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. Okay? Uh, Cattle, cattle will avoid anything noisy. (laughs) So the the of a, a whip will make the cattle move. Okay? Um, so Jesus is not touching any living thing. He's just, actually, he's shepherding, isn't he? He's moving the sheep and the cattle out of the temple courts by cracking that whip. He's not cracking it at people. He's not inflicting pain or discomfort. He is doing what he, he said he would do and that he moves them out of the, the, um, out of the temple courts. Cattle hears that, and they just run away. Now, he did knock over the tables, all right? Let's, let's transfer to the next slide. He did knock over the tables. He did have righteous anger. He did tell them, stop making this a market. Stop making this a market. He did do those things. That's the traditional explanation of this event. Um, you know, that, that he's, there's this righteous anger and, and this disruption of what had been glorious. It had become corrupt for some reason. But if all you think is Jesus was angry, you've missed the point. Worse, if you think this gives you reason to be angry, you've missed the point. Even if you think it's a righteous anger that you have. Do you think that Jesus, by the way, showed up at this event and was suddenly confronted for the first time that there were money changers and sheep and doves? Like all of a sudden, he's like, what? There are animals here? And people are selling them? And there's money changer tables? I didn't know this. This is wrong. And then he starts to, do you think that that was actually what happened? The animals and money changers have been there for a long time, year after year after year. Jesus grew up a faithful Jewish boy, and his family went up to temple each year. Read Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 51, which begins with the words, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. So year after year growing up, he has seen money changers at their tables. He's seen cattle, sheep, doves, things being sold at the temple courts. John, or Luke 2 then goes on to tell of the story. By the way, that's the story when Jesus is 12 years old and he, he stays behind at the temple and his parents in caravan are leaving and then they realize he's not with them and they have to go back and, and they find him and he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Anyway, Jesus knew this was business as usual, a way of money changers and animals and the like. It's how things work. It's the system that had been part of Jewish life for a long time. It was their business as usual. What I believe happened was Jesus was now on his way to the cross. Again, John is portraying this theologically, not chronologically. Now, just prior to this story is the story of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding of Cana. 
there's a theological connection. Because when Jesus, when Jesus' mother says, you know, basically, hey, son, get, you know, help them out. Turn, turn, they, they were out of wine. You can do something about it. His comment to his mom is, my time has not yet come. The idea there is, it's not, re- it's not time yet for me to be revealed as the Messiah. It's not yet. Nevertheless, he does what he has asked, and he turns water into wine. And the result is, in, in, in that story, is the result is that the disciples put their faith in him. Then there's a transition where Jesus, his mother and brothers, and the disciples spend some time in Capernaum. And then Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the Passover, and here this scene unfolds. Only now it begins to be the right time. Even though he doesn't say those words in this sense, we get that theologically. My time has not yet come is followed by an event that shows it's now time to show my authority and zeal and purpose. And the purpose was to transform business as usual. The purpose was to throw out or overturn the tables that represented business as usual. A business, a way of life that was actually very bankrupt. Do you remember me explaining that in a previous sermon? Of course you don't. You don't remember every sermon. You know, I mean, if you do, you're amazing. I don't even remember every sermon and I preach it. But let me repeat something I have shared before. Um, The origin of the word bank, as in where you go and put your money, comes from a Latin word, banco, which means bench. And the idea is um, people would sit on benches, set up their tables, and exchange your money for you. Now, in Jesus' time, they're under Roman authority and rule, and therefore, they would have Roman currency. Matthew 22, whose image is on the coin? Caesar, who will render under Caesar what is Caesar's and render under God what is God's. Jewish authorities, however, mandated that only Hebrew currency would be acceptable for the temple tax. So you needed money changers to exchange the Roman currency for the Hebrew currency. And what a better place to do so than at the temple courts, at the foot of the temple mount. And hey, while you're at it, you might as well set the exchange rate a little high, I don't know, maybe make a bit of a profit on it. Oh, and you've come a long way and you don't have a, a, a proper animal to offer as, as sacrifice? No problem, we've got you covered over here. We've got things that you can buy and take up to the temple. Now, history tells us that if a banker, banco, bench, if a banker failed, his bench would be broken to pieces by the populace, and thus he would be bankrupt. Now, why am I telling you the story of the origin of the word bank? Because this is exactly what is taking place at the temple. Jesus shooed out the, the, the animals, turned over the tables, because he was declaring their enterprise bankrupt. The zeal that consumed Jesus was not a knee-jerk reaction uh, to what he saw. As I said, he would have known this to be the case. But everything he did, everything he does was to send an important message that goes beyond the idea of business as usual, 
and even beyond, in this case, the idea of simply a bankrupt enterprise. Thinking of this narrative uh, from the viewpoint of the other three Gospels who have this event at the beginning of Holy Week, uh, Ben Myers writes, planned for prime time and maximum exposure, it was a demonstration calculated to interrupt business as usual and bring the imminence of God's reign abruptly, forcefully to the attention of all. It was a demonstration, a prophetic critique, a fulfillment event, and it was a sign of what was to come. Jesus wasn't cleansing the temple simply because he was angry with what he saw. The time had come and he was pronouncing judgment on a spiritually barren people and system. And his purpose was to show a sign of things to come, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. He was also showing his all-sufficiency, his authority. He would be the sacrifice once for all time. He was showing that he is enough. My friends, this is so important for us to always know that Jesus is more than enough. Notice the conversation that he has then with the people who are there. Those who, when when he turns everything over and shoes out the animals, what do they say to him? They say to him, what sign can you show us that proves your authority to do all this? They missed the fact that Jesus didn't refer to the temple as the temple. He referred to it as his father's house. That should alone have sparked a little bit of controversy. First of all, he's referring to it as a house, not the temple. And more specifically, his father's house. Who was his father? Well, the one whose Shekinah glory filled the temple. The creator and sustainer of all things. By saying it was his father's house, he was not just talking about a sort of a casual affiliation or a spiritual connection like you and I might identify with as calling him our father in heaven. Jesus was revealing in that moment that he is God's son. It's the first time in this gospel that he identifies God as his father. But those challenging him failed to pick up on that. And they failed to pick up on the wording. Instead, they focused on their interruption to their business-as-usual way of life, which was not welcomed. And they simply asked, now, who gives you the authority to do this? Now, here's the thing. From a worldly point of view, Jesus has no credentials to do what he did. Okay? Let's, let's, let's see it in the context. He's not one of the priests. He's not from the, you know, the Levites. They wouldn't acknowledge him as one of their own and had, had given him authority to cleanse the temple. Uh, he's not one of the scribes or Pharisees. They knew of him, but they didn't count him as one of their own. Sure, in the next chapter, Nicodemus calls him rabbi, but he's being um, generous and just cordial in his, his introduction. Jesus hasn't studied under the rabbis. No authority has been conferred upon him by the rabbis. Nevertheless, he takes it upon himself to do what is necessary and in the process turns everything upside down on the temple's busiest day of the year, causing an interruption, but an interruption that would bring transformation. 
Notice what Jesus' answer was. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, finally, he uses the word temple. They catch that, but again, they're mistaken because they think he's referring to the physical structure of the temple, but he's talking about his body. Now, it wasn't until after the resurrection that the disciples remembered and understood this event. It is necessary to remember as we move toward the cross and then the empty grave that the new body of the resurrection came through the sacrificial death of the one who gave the sign of his coming. And this would bring radical transformation. The new covenant in his blood through the destruction of his living body, which leads us to to one final point we want to make before we uh, make our way to the Lord's table, and that is this. We have to remember the importance of remembering. Take note of the, of the, the two times that Jesus' disciples remember things in this passage. In verse 17 is the first occurrence of it, where it says, his disciples remembered, it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So it's like things happen, oh, we remember that passage. And then in verse 22 it says, after he was raised from the dead, after Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words Jesus had spoken. They recalled or remembered and they believed anew, afresh. They were renewed in their faith as they remembered the Lord's goodness, faithfulness, and trustworthiness in terms of what was prophetically spoken. Don't underestimate the importance of repetition and the need to remember. In the lectionary readings, you go through a three-year cycle. We pay close attention to the lectionary readings, especially in high season, Lent, Advent, things like that. Um, And every three years, as I said, you cycle through the same passages. Why? Because we're retelling the story year after year, but also because in all likelihood, in all likelihood, if we're honest, for some, through the year, our faith wanes. And we become comfortable and complacent. In fact, we become people who are business as usual people. And we need transformation. We need an interruption that brings transformation. And coming back to these, uh, back to the well of these incredible, same specific passages, stories year after year after year, reminds us to remember what we already know. To hear people like me say again and again, this is what happened. Why? Because it's important to remember. Sarah Heinrichs writes this. She says, um, if we pay, the passage lays before us a promise. If we pay attention and remember, then Scripture and its Lord will be revealed as true and reliable. However mysterious and incomprehensible Jesus' words or deeds may be in the present, to engage with belief and keep Scripture in mind eventually will bring the disciples to the place where things come together and they believe. And the same goes for you and me as well. 
We pay attention. We remember. And even though in the moments of life come, that come along and the crisis and the crises that we go through, we wonder, uh, then, but in those moments we can look back and we can remember and we see God at work in our lives in ways that we otherwise could never have imagined. Heinrich goes on to write that expanding, deepening, maturing belief comes in a process of engaging, experiencing, and remembering. The reliability is God's reliability, God's faithfulness. It is not only the, it's in the act of not only remembering, but being formed and transformed in our act of remembrance that we truly grow in our faith. When he drove out the animals and stopped the exchange of money in the temple, it wasn't simply to exercise our righteous anger or give us an, a reason to have righteous anger in our lives. Jesus was making it impossible for the ritual of sacrifice to continue in its current form. No more business as usual. It was a sign that the old way of being reconciled to God and worshiping him was coming to an end, even if it meant that he himself would die. He, would, he was about to offer himself as that one sacrifice that, that was sufficient once for all time for the reconciliation of people with God. The one sacrifice of the new covenant now replaced the many sacrifices offered repeatedly under the old covenant. The interruption of business as usual was about to be transformed. Hebrews 9 and 10 really explain that, gives a a complete account and understanding of the sacrifice of Christ. We may not like interruptions in our orderly, regularly scheduled lives and world, but maybe, just maybe, we need them more than we realize. This narrative of the cleansing of the temple isn't about a startling, angry Jesus who's vindictive, but about the one who is about to do a new thing and who continues to do a new thing even now, even today, interrupting our business as usual ways to continue to bring spiritual transformation. I have but one question for you as we close, as a, in light of all that. Are you prepared to receive what he planned for you? Let us pray. Gracious God, we confess that it might be easy for us to simply say, yes, we're prepared. But I'm not sure if we always are. But what we can always be sure of is that you have authority over everything. You are sovereign over our, our lives. And you, can't have, you do a new thing. You still do a new thing. And you have been bringing transformation in our lives. You continue to bring transformation in our lives. And so, gracious God, I pray indeed that we would be prepared for whatever it is that you have planned for us in our lives. 
and that we may remember. Remember that you are in charge and remember what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.